I want to thank you all for being here this afternoon and certainly appreciate the leadership for the opportunity to be able to speak before you. I told you this morning I love the concept of leadership, talking about leadership. I think it's very fundamental to our church growth in the future. And I'm going to present to you some material this afternoon that I've only given one time in public uh, as a public type sermon, but I've used this material in some leadership seminar type things, working with leadership teams and congregations across the country. And so I'm going to deal with some things that are uh, a little bit more challenging or inside information. I kind of want to ask for a little bit of mercy with that uh, to start with, because again, this morning, like I told you, all I can draw from is 37 years of experience of doing full-time church work, and I'm going to share some of those experiences with you, because I think we learn from some of those things. So I want to share some of that with you. I want to start uh, this afternoon and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 13, verse through verse number 31. I want to talk about the concept of teamwork. Working together as a team. Effectively working together as a team. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting verse number 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, but all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But, it, but now if God set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say into the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more of those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism or schism in the body. I think both pronunciations are correct in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. A schism or schism is a division in the body. Verse number 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. One member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. The Apostle Paul uses an analogy here, this chapter of the body, the human body. And if I took my body, my body's got a head, it's got hands, it's got arms, I've got legs, I've got feet, toes, all that sort of stuff, now, there may be some folks that are born that may be missing some of that, but I can tell you if you're born and you're missing some of that, you've been missing some of that. And so there's an aspect of that that you're going to recognize that I have to compensate for that or whatever. When I was 14 years old, I had a disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And Guillain-Barre, in my case, affected my nervous system, and I woke up ultimately and could not walk. I lost the use of my legs, partial use of my arms. I was in a wheelchair for a period of time. I got over it, if y'all were wondering how the end of the story went. Uh, but basically, during that period of time, I could not, my dad was carrying me to the bathroom. My, they, they were taking me to the bathtub and bathing me and that kind of thing. Ask me today if I appreciate my legs. I think you know the answer. When I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I'm thankful for, I can get out of bed. I remember the day that I could get up out of a couch with my own strength and, and not have to be pulling on something or somebody helping me up, that my legs could actually lift my body back up and where I could stand in an upright position. Uh, the body is a very fascinating thing, and it works together, but th there's times that stuff doesn't work right. And in that case, my central nervous system wasn't telling my legs what to do or my arms what to do, and I lost function or partial function of those extremities, whatever those things were. I want to talk about the body for a moment because he, the Apostle Paul is using an analogy that you're the body of Christ, okay? Every body serves a function. I'm going to ask Brother Sean, if he doesn't mind, to come up here, and I'm going to use him as a guinea pig, and I promise not to hurt you, Brother Sean, but I did just go through a CPR class, didn't I, Carrie? So be happy to help you. I want you to come up here on the stage if you don't mind. Put your feet toward the pulpit, and I want you to lay down on the stage this way. 
right in that area right there. Put your feet toward the stage right down here. Yeah, you're doing very well. Lay down like you've had a heart attack. You're dead, okay? Now I want you to imagine for just a moment, we've got a body, okay? Brother Sean's got a body, and let's assume for a moment Brother Sean had a heart attack and he died, I mean, or, or we thought he died. He collapsed, and he had collapsed here in this assembly. And by the way, that's happened in some churches. I don't know if y'all heard some of those stories, but... But it's not good when that happens. The assembly changes uh, directly. But I didn't, he had one and y'all didn't move. So I don't know if y'all are worried about Sean. But Sean has had a heart attack, I want y'all to know. Now, there's going to be some things that we do if a guy's got a heart attack, okay? And there's some things that we want to know. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to check for a pulse, Right? We're going to see, is the guy alive or is he dead or something? So I'm going to go up, and I, I want to see signs of life. So we're going to check for a pulse, and we're going to see if Brother Sean's alive. I might look for eye movement. Or is his eyes moving? No, he's pretty much staring out into space. I need to be careful on the stage. About two weeks ago, I tumbled off a stage about that same size and hadn't gotten over it. Uh, Brother Sean, move your right foot. And, the, and, and what we know about Brother Sean is the body is alive because we know he can hear. Because I told his ears to move his foot, and his ears moved his foot. Did your feet get offended that your ears and your brain told your foot to move? I don't think so. Well, now we know he's alive because he's talking, right? There are signs of life. The body gives a great illustration, and, and here the Apostle Paul uses that illustration. He says, the hand doesn't say to its foot, I don't need you, okay? He's got hands, it's an important aspect. He's got feet, it's an important aspect. We're checking to see if he's alive, the foot raises up, that kind of thing. We've got life, okay? Brother Sean's alive, but I just want to explain to you from a leadership standpoint, a teamwork standpoint, I want to take that same illustration. And let's make a parallel, and I'm not trying to oversell the concept of elders per se, but I want you to make this analogy for a moment. In the human body, who would the elders be? If we're talking about a local congregation, would, would they be the foot or would they be the brain? You're going to go brain, I'm going brain. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to oversell the eldership, I just want you to get the concept. Does the brain have to do what the feet do? Is the brain offended if the feet do what the feet do? No, not at all. So let's talk about that from a leadership standpoint. Are the elders offended if someone else takes out the trash? Are they offended at that? Brother Craig says, no, we're not. Okay? Why, is the, why, why are they not offended at that? Do you have to seek permission it works within the guidelines, right? I mean, the brain is functioning, sending signals to the body. It's sending signals to the feet. And I'm not trying to make a parallel that taking the trash out is feet work necessarily, but I'm saying it's teamwork. The body works together as a team and everything's got a job. Everything performs its function. My little pinky does what my little pinky does. My hand does what my hand does. My arm does. If I just had an arm out here doing this and it was... I couldn't control it with my brain, and it was just doing its own thing. At some point in time, you guys would come to me and go, you need to see a doctor. Something's wrong, right? But I'm telling you, we got church members in the body of Christ just kind of doing their own thing. They want to be separated from the brain. They want to be separated from the leadership. They want to go do their own thing, make their own decisions, be their own people. And I just want to tell you, if you do that, you're not a part of the body. Something's wrong. Something's sick. You need to see a doctor. You're out there doing your own thing. You're not working together as a team. Now, his mind, as Brother Sean's up here and has had a heart attack, his mind is telling his eyes to open up. How important are your eyes to you? They're very important. I'm not saying they're less important than a foot. I'm, I'm okay with having both, right? They're both important functions, but I'm going to go, the eyes are pretty important. How about hearing, smelling, tasting? You know, we think about those five senses, those would be pretty important things. And in my illustration here, I want to say, let's go deacons, okay? Eyes, ears, hands, nose, okay? Taste, tongue, 
That's our deacons. We got five deacons. I don't know. How many deacons do you have? You are missing something. Are you missing eyes? Feet? That wasn't one of the five senses, was it? Are you missing smelling? Come on, you can tell me, Jeffrey. Here's my point, though. Your eyes are working. Your ears are working. Your smell's working. Your taste is working. Your touch is working. Pretty important part for the body to work together, isn't it? How do those things work, though? They work independent of the brain? So do they work independent of the eldership? Do the deacons work independent of the elders? The elders are still overseeing, right? They're still making overall decisions and things like that related to the body, but the deacon work is very important to that body to make that body work. Now, keep using that illustration for just a moment. The rest of us are the rest of it, okay? You might be a toe, you might be a foot, you might be an arm, everybody performs a function. Let's divide that up into functions and, and, and jobs and responsibilities related to the church. What are some of those? I want you to just think about it for just a moment. What are some of those responsibilities? Well, we could think in terms of the building. We could think in terms of uh, maintaining a building. We could think in terms of taking out the trash. We could think in terms of cooking meals. But, but let's think spiritually for a moment. Let's think in terms of uh, visiting the sick. Let's think in terms of doing Bible studies with people. Let's think in terms of uh, praying with people, consoling, comforting, caring for people, ministering to people. Let's think about all the different roles and functions and responsibilities of church. All those are contained in the body. But let me tell you what we do in the church a lot of times. We say our elders, we're, we're choosing somebody to serve in the church. We're selecting somebody that will work in the church. We're selecting somebody that's going to be a minister in the church. We're selecting somebody that's going to do the work of the church. Are we? Is that what we're doing with elders or deacons? Are they a part of the body? They may be overseeing, but really we've left the job of taking the trash out to the elders. Really? Is that really smart? You've got the brain of your organization that is making the decisions of the organization. And if you are a toe or you are a foot or you are an arm or you are a leg and you're letting your brain pick up the trash, something's wrong with the body. Something's wrong with the organization. Something's wrong with the structure. And I just want to say to the deacons, deacons, if you're taking the trash out, I want, to, I want you to hear me. If you are physically taking the trash out, you're not doing deacon work. I'm telling you, our view of what deacons do, here's what we think. We think, let's select deacons so they can go take trash out, so they can fix the air conditioning unit. Let's select deacons so that they can uh, vacuum the carpet. They're responsible for that, right? I just want to tell you, deacons, right now, if you're doing that, you're not deaconing. Let me tell you why. What does Acts 6 say? Who can we select to oversee this business? Do you have a responsibility for the trash? Of course. Do you have a responsibility for the building? Of course. Do you have a responsibility for church finances? Of course. Do you have a responsibility for sick and elderly and widows and all that? You bet. Is it your job to go do all of that? Or are we a body? Every part of the body ought to be doing that. The deacons ought to be looking and saying, hey, we talked this morning about delegation. If you're grabbing a trash bag, deacons, I'm just telling you right now, if you're grabbing a trash bag, you're not delegating. You're not leading, you're not teaching others how to, how to follow, teaching them the responsibilities of deacons and all that sort of stuff. Every time you go to grab a trash bag, I want you to remember that. I want you to think about it, and I want you to say to yourself, I'm teaching your deacons right now, say to yourself, say to your brain, what I'm doing right now is not deacon work. I'm now doing what the foot ought to be doing. I'm now doing what the hands ought to be doing. I'm not the eyes, ears, taste, smell, touch, et cetera, of this organization. Because what we have done is we have landed church work on our leadership team. And church work is all of our work. Everybody. Now, is a deacon too good to pick the trash up? Of course not. Is an elder too good to pick the trash up? Of course not. Happy to help. There's not a job at church I'm not willing to do. Let me tell you a story, true story. Evangelists working with a congregation. Congregation is about 40 or 50 people. We had guys that were 50 years old going to church with us. And the toilet in the women's room plugged up. 
So a 50-year-old man came up to me and said, the toilet in the ladies' room is plugged up. And what did I say? Thank you for letting me know that. I didn't know it took an ordained evangelist to unplug it. I know that sounds like sarcasm. It is sarcasm with a serious note. Listen, folks. If you're 50 years old and you're a guy, you probably have used a plunger before. I'm curious, elders, are you offended if they use a plunger or do you want them to come to get permission from you? And I'm just telling you, your deacons are not gonna be offended that you grabbed a plunger and said, hey, I think I'm gonna unplug this thing. Now, if you start repainting the bathroom, it might be good to talk to them about it. They have oversight. And I'm telling you a true church story. Somebody walked in there and they said, I'm as much a member of this church as anybody else is. I can paint the bathroom any color I want to paint it. And they just went to painting. Didn't talk to any of the leadership team at all. So we got a pink polka dotted bathroom or church or whatever the situation was. Had another situation where a guy, good hearted, it wasn't evil hearted at all. He said, we're going to go touch up the paint at the church house. They had the entire building painted white. They went and got a different color of white. Did y'all know there were different colors of white? There's lots of different colors of white, by the way. And there's flat, and there's matte, and there's satin, and there's high gloss and all that. He went all over that building, touching up that building with a different color white that was high gloss. And it was polka dotted across that building because he never talked to the leadership team. Do you think the foot, do you think Sean's foot, are you asleep yet, Sean? Okay. Um, do you think Sean's foot would operate without talking and communicating to some degree with its head? There's no way. There ought to be communication, but that doesn't mean the, the head is doing all the work of the foot. That makes no sense. So just want you to get it through your head, deacons. We get this idea, and we struggle at home with it. I'm telling you, we struggle. I don't know whether y'all struggle with it or not. I'm just visiting. That's why I can preach on this stuff is our, we struggle with it at home because our deacons feel the burden of responsibility. They don't want to ask anyone else. They don't, they're concerned about burdening someone else. And that's what I was talking about this morning. You want your leaders to lead with joy? Go offer to help them. Pull some load off of them. And I could list you. We could spend the rest of this evening talking about the responsibilities that deacons have in a congregation related to finances and oh, I'm so thankful. We've got a deacon in our congregation that does an amazing job with finances and reports and, and giving the bank what they need and information, all that. I would not trade for that guy. I do not want to do that job. Thank you to that deacon. But do you want the guy that spends all that time? You want him also being responsible for taking the trash out? Really? Can we not help? Is there a 12-year-old boy in the room anywhere that can lift the trash sack? You're a part of the body. I'm saying everyone in the room ought to have a job. Everybody in the room ought to have a job. Now, let me tell you the reality of what we see in evangelism today. If we, made, if we looked at Sean and said, that's an example of the church right there, had a heart attack and died, no communication from the head down, the congregation died. Let me tell you the way congregations die. They don't die with heart attacks suddenly. They don't. You know what happens? with churches today, they quit combing their hair. They quit brushing their teeth. They quit bathing. They quit taking their, putting their clothes on. They sit in a recliner. They watch TV. They die slowly over time. They deteriorate. This body is not designed to not move. It needs to move. The body needs to move. Every aspect of the body needs to move. You ought to be performing a function in that body because what destroys congregations over time is not a sudden heart attack. This does not happen overnight. What happens to congregations over time is slow death of people not taking care of business, people not caring. The ministry's not being done. We're not visiting people. We're not caring for the sick, the widows, and that kind of thing. Y'all, I'm sure this congregation has some, some widows how long has it been since the body went and saw them? I can tell you the body shows up at church and says, Brother Craig, did you see the widows last week? And Craig's going, well, I wasn't able to see them last week, but I got them the week before, you know, that kind of thing. And Craig feels guilty. Man, 
had a load. I had Bible studies to do. I had lots of stuff that, that was filling up time, but I wasn't able to get that done. And I'm telling you, it's a wrong mentality. We're expecting our leaders to perform the work of every aspect of the body. Everybody in this room ought to be caring about those with us. Everybody in this room ought to be caring about things related to people that are sick or in the hospital and making hospital visits and doing those things. That's the body. Everybody ought to have a job. We're missing it, folks, when we put the responsibility on our, every aspect of the responsibility on our, on our uh, leadership team, our elders, our deacons. Well, they can serve in the church. No, we all serve in the church. They lead in serving. They give us an example in serving. They oversee the business of the church. But that's not their responsibility to go do every aspect of it. And I promise you, I could spend the evening outlining all the different responsibilities that deacons and elders have. And you get a guy like Kerry that gets off at 5 o'clock in an evening, and you put 150 people that he's responsible for, or let's say that he and Craig divided up, and he's responsible for 75 of them, and he's got to keep up with whether your family's sick or somebody's not here or, or whatever the situation is, and he's responsible to go sign the $400,000 note at the, at the bank, and he's responsible to make sure he gets paid. He's responsible to make sure the money gets taken care of and it gets in the bank and reports get out there, and you have loaded up, Brother Kerry. You want to talk about leading with joy and not with grief? He ain't leading with joy if he's got that much stuff on his plate. He can't handle it. It's unfair to him. It's unfair to Craig to do that. It's unfair to your elders to do that. It's unfair to your deacons to do that. And I'm telling you at home, our deacons, we got three deacons. They're great men. They are excellent men. They love the church. They spend a lot of time with the church. But I'm telling you, they struggle with delegating. They struggle with seeing other people. I'm telling you, we go to lunch. We'll have a fellowship. Our congregation is not quite the size of y'all's. We're 120 or so. But we'll go to lunch. We have a lunch, a fellowship area that we have lunch in. And I'm telling you, one of the deacons is going, we got to go get ice. You have to go get ice? Is there not a 16-year-old boy in here with a driver's license or a 16-year-old girl with a driver's license that's got two bucks that they can get from their parents and go buy a bag of ice? Really, our deacons are, or can not all the body, are y'all getting the point? Can we be real? Can we talk about it? Sean, I'm through with you if you don't mind. You can wake up from your nap. Let me tell you something else while you're up here, Sean. Or let me ask you something else while you're up here. You know, people tell us all the time, they're going, what do evangelists do? What do we get for our money? You know, we spend lots of money. What do we, what do we get? I'm fixing to show you what we get. I want you to, since 2015, people have been calling you about baptisms, right? And they've been saying, hey, we had four baptisms in Amarillo, or we had three baptisms in to come carry New Mexico, whatever the situation. Now, this doesn't mean it's all the baptisms. Don't get me wrong. It's just people have been calling Sean because he's been keeping track. So tell us, since 2015, how many baptisms there have been that you know of? I'm not saying it's all of them. 780. 780 baptisms since 2015. And, and let me tell you why that becomes offensive to evangelists. Feel free if you want to sit down. He's ready. Why that becomes offensive to evangelists when people go, oh, what are we getting for money? What are we doing? Because evangelists are out there busting their tail and then they come back and the congregation is going, well, what's happening? What are you doing? And let me tell you, part of the problem is the body is not working. The body doesn't see what's happening. They're not involved. They're not engaged. They're not calling. Now, Brother Kerry would say, well, I called you, Brother Ty, and you didn't call me back for four or five days, right? But the reality is, Carrie and Craig do things a little bit different. They actually call and talk to the people they're supporting and visit with them and find out what's going on, what kind of work they're involved in. We write a letter every year as an evangelist. We write a letter every year to our supporters, to the congregation. And I want to tell you a little bit. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to tell you, I've been supported by the church financially. When I started church work in 1983, I supported $1,200 a month. Now, in 1983, my rent was $176 a month. My car payment was $215 a month. And we lived on $1,200 a month. 
I even had health insurance. We paid a hundred and some odd dollars for my wife and I to have health insurance, had a hundred dollar deductible. 1983, January of 1983. You know what my health insurance is today? You don't answer. I'm not asking these questions so that you'll answer out loud because I'm fixing to tell you it's $1,000 a month. My wife's 58, I'm 55. It's $1,000. You know what a deductible is today? $5,500. You want to know why it's offensive to evangelists? When somebody says, hey, we may need to send some money to Brother Marlon because he just had a heart attack. We may need to try to help support him in the work that he's doing. You know why it's offensive to evangelists when the first question that happens in that business meeting is, does he have insurance? Because we're not asking, hey, can we help promote the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're saying, hey, is there some way we can not have to help? That's what that's saying. And I'm just saying, you're not giving your frontline salesman, you're not giving your frontline evangelist a lot of confidence when the first question that comes out, because I can tell you, Brother Marlin, at the end of that story is still going to be out $5,500, regardless of what his insurance covered. And he sacrificed so much. And I can tell you, as years went on, we moved to Pasadena, Texas, my pay went up to $1,500 a month. Man, I was making the money. Our rent went from 200 a month in Cameron to 500 a month in Laporte. I thought we were going broke. $500 a month on $1,500 a month. We were going broke. We decided we wanted a second child. We paid for three years for maternity coverage at 100 extra dollars a month so that it would pay for a $3,000 child. That $3,000 child turned into twins and $10,000. And Brother Ty and Sister Lisa negotiated with a bank, and over time, we paid those twins off. But we were going to do church work. Wasn't going to go get a regular job. Over time, Brother Herschel came over to my house. I was about done in 1990. I was, there's no way full-time church work is going to work. I'm done. I'm going to go get a normal job like normal people. Brother Herschel sat in my living room. By that afternoon, it all changed. Brother Herschel sat in the living room, and he walked out of there that day, and I made $2,500 a month. And he helped me through twins and Hannah. Some very challenging times. I got to $3,200 a month. By the time I got into 2005 range. So I'm making a little over $36,000 a year. Now I want, to, I want you to mention, I want to mention something to you. I'm paying $600 a month for gasoline to go do the work. It wasn't $36,000 clear. That was operating a preaching business. That was traveling all over the country paying tons of gas bills. Hey, would you come preach for us? You bet. Would you come help our leadership team? You bet. Game to do it, made $3,200 a month. About 2008, my support got cut, about $1,300 a month. And I was making close to $2,000. Again, I had four kids. And a wife and four kids and four kids looking to go into college. And I'm making $24,000 a year in 2008. I just want to ask you guys, what do you think I did? What do you think I did? I got a job, is what I did. There was absolutely no way any longer to do church work on a full-time basis in that way, that same direction. It's impossible. And then I sit with leadership teams, and they say, should we really support evangelism? Should we really get behind it? What are we doing? What are we doing as congregation? What are we doing in leadership? What are we doing if we don't have elders and deacons that are seeing the need and seeing the, the need for evangelism? Don't get me wrong. This is not a self-serving speech. Don't send me a dollar. I'm not asking for a dollar. I'm saying that our vision for the church ought to be bigger than this. I'm just trying to be real with you. I want to go to Romans chapter 12, verse number 4. 
For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member is one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You know what that verse says? Everybody's got a gift. You know, there may be some people in this audience tonight, your gift is making money. You've got the ability, you've got the knowledge, you've got the wherewithal, you can make money. Do you know what that verse said? That verse said, go make money and use it for the Lord's cause. That's what that verse said. If, you, if that's your gift, go make money. Do it for the kingdom's sake. Maybe your gift is teaching. What does that verse say? Teach. Maybe your gift is eldering. Eld. Maybe your gift is deaconing. Deak. Whatever your gift is. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's whatever. Use your gifts. Maybe it's taking trash out. Maybe it's fixing air conditioning units. Maybe it's roofing buildings. Maybe it's constructing buildings. Whatever your gift is, use your gift for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room needs to have a job. You're a part of the body of Christ. Now I'm going to share with you all some information. I don't know. Some of you in this room may know this information. But how many of y'all know the story of Pearland, Texas? You want to ask me what evangelists have done since 1983? I want to tell you a few stories. I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I'm going to tell you a few. Pearland, Texas, with a congregation started in the 60s by Roy Hazelton. By the 80s, they were 25 or 30 people. By the time you get to the late 80s, they were 12. Justin Springer moved to Pearland, Texas. Brother Beverly Keel was one of the older members there. They didn't have elders, they didn't have deacons. 12 members. They had $9,000 in the bank. Let me tell you what Pearland did. They said, we will support Justin $1,000 a month until the money runs out. That's all in. We are going to spend $1,000 a month. We're going to support Brother Justin. Hopefully, he can draw some support from some other places. It's very possible he drew some from Amarillo. I don't know. Y'all can tell me. I don't know the story, that aspect of it. But he drew some other money. Chances are, in that time frame, he was making two grand a month. And 1000 of it was coming from Paraland. $1,000 a month till the money runs out. They were committed. And I'm all in with them. Those 12 people said, we're here to stay. We are going to make a church work in this community. Over the next 20 years, that congregation, let me also mention their contributions were $200 a Sunday. Okay? 200 bucks a Sunday. Over the next 20 years, that congregation grew to 100 members and their contributions went to $2,400 a Sunday. You know, Brother Justin died. You know what he was making from Pearland, Texas when he died? You want to take a shot? $1,000 a month. Do you know what that congregation was doing with the rest of that money? They were sending it to other places. They were supporting other preachers to help in other places so the gospel would go out. That's what Pearland, Texas was doing. Pearland today has elders and deacons in place. Pearland today is 80, 90, 100 members, depending on given Sunday that on the crowd size. $2,400 a week contributions are bringing in approximately 10 grand a month. They're putting it back out in the brotherhood and they're supporting things. That's Pearland, Texas. So you want to ask me where your money's going? You want to ask me what are we getting for our evangelism? What are we getting for our dollar? Well, I can tell you Pearland, Texas down there believes they got a lot because they got a congregation today. Do you know in that amount of time, they went from a little building, kind of like y'all's North Carolina building, but different, the building dated in the 60s. Now they've got an auditorium that's the size of this auditorium. You know what it cost them? $500,000. You know today that building's paid for? Pearland's a success story. You want to start talking about congregations that that have turned around and, and you want to talk about what evangelists have been doing. Let's talk about what evangelists have been doing. Anybody know the, still, the story of Stillwater, Oklahoma? Trevor, have you ever heard this story? 
Back in the early 80s, I was just starting church work. There were three guys a little older than me, Randall, Butch, Gary. They went to college at OSU. There was no church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. They said, we need a church. It's a college town. We need a church there. Those guys graduated from college, and they said, we're not leaving this community. We need a church here. We're going to be at the we're going to have a church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, if it's the three of us and our families. The congregation in Stillwater still exists today. That's happened since the time I've been doing full-time church work. How many members do they have today? They got 70 members today. They started with nothing. Okay? Anybody ever, you wonder what you're getting for evangelism today? What are you getting for your dollar? Who are their elders today, Trevor? Isn't that interesting? They were kind of all in, weren't they? Anybody ever heard a story out of Amarillo? I'm telling you, I preached in Amarillo to 12 people. Brother Slayton was here back in those days. You know where Amarillo's at today? You want to talk about where your money goes for evangelism today? It's a different dynamic in Amarillo, Texas today. And it's different because you're investing in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When you lay a dollar in a contribution plate, when you lay $100 in a contribution plate, when you lay $1,000 in a contribution plate, you're supporting the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You want a church and you guys have supported in other places. And you may be sitting here today going, Where, where's our money going? What are we doing? I want to tell you, when we walked out of here today, I hope you know where your money's going. And I hope you see some of the things that's happening with your money. Anybody ever heard of Gallatin, Texas? We actually got into Gallatin, Texas. Gallatin was a congregation back in the 70s that, that was just worshiping God and doing their thing. There were about 100 members. They hired a located minister that basically had retired and he had worked for the railroad and he retired the next 20 years. The congregation went from 100 members down to 12 members in 20 years. And they decided that located one man preaching thing probably wasn't the best plan for them. And they changed gears. So now we are at 2005. They called us and said, we need help. We sat in the room with them. Marion Gine, there were some others that were involved in that process early. Michael McCorkle sat in that early meeting. We sat in there and said, listen, if that's your goal in the long run, that that's what you're going to try to do, you just want somebody to preach for you, we're not interested. That's what, and there was an old brother there, big, deep bass voice, and he'd go, Brother Flavin, you have no right to come tell us how we ought to work, you know, organize our assembly, and you have no right to tell us how we're going to run our church. We're not telling you how to run your church. We're just telling you if that's what you're trying to do, ultimately, we're not going to spend a lot of time, money, effort, energy, and, and effort trying to do that. We're just trying to be honest and upfront and fair with you. Long story short, in 05, by the way, their contributions were $200 a Sunday. They had 30 grand in the bank. They were asking me, what should we do? And I said, spend all 30 grand of it before you close. Go out in a blaze of glory. Because you know what they're going to do if they close the doors with that $30,000? What's going to happen to that $30,000 when they close the door? They're going to give it to a neighboring congregation. You know what they're going to do with it? They're going to build a fellowship building so that they can have lunches and stuff. Nothing wrong. I'm not down to that. I'm just saying, you've got 30 grand in the bank. Why are we going? Why are we giving up? Spend your 30 grand. You know where Gallatin's at today? Elders and deacons in place. They're meeting 60 people, 70 people today. Total different dynamic. You know where your evangelism money's going to? That, that's what I'm telling you. You know how much money they got in the bank today? I don't know the answer, but I can tell you it's more than 30 grand. It's interesting to me how when we just go do the work and we spend money, 
the Lord provides. It's interesting how that works. Y'all ever heard of the story at College Park? That's my story. I'll tell you, let me tell you what brethren did. I was driving down the road with a brother, one of the leaders in our area one time, and it wasn't that long ago. Driving down the road, he's sitting over here. He said, Brother Ty, he said, we need a plan. So what do you mean we need a plan? He said, well, you know, just nobody, there's no evangelism. There's no, we just need a plan. You know, he's just kind of gripping and complaining about evangelist stuff. I go, do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean we need a plan? He said, I'm working a plan. I said, 15 years ago, I sat in a room with Herschel Williams and Adrian Bowers and Ronnie Benoit and I could tell you several other guys. Billy Ray Robertson was in the room. There were several guys. We probably had 15 guys in that room that day. You know what they wanted? They said, we need a church on the north side of Houston. We went with 20 people and started a church on the north side of Houston. We were renting a facility. Do you know what the facility cost us per month, Craig? $250 a month. We figured if we could bring in $250 a week in contributions, we could get the water. We could make it work. I'm not bragging. I really am not bragging. I just want you guys to know the story behind the scenes. You know what our contributions are today? Last Sunday was 3,700. Our budget's 2,850. We're bringing in 10 grand to 12 grand a month. And do you know what we're spending? 10 to 12 grand a month. And do you know if we brought in 30 grand a month, you know what we'd be spending? 30 grand a month. Because we're going to try to preach the gospel to a community. That's what it's about. We now have 120 people meeting. We now have a $240,000 debt on a million dollar building that started at $400,000 that is on track to be paid off in six and a half years. Y'all come talk to me in a few years. But we're busting our tail. And I got a brother sitting over in the car going, we need a plan. What? We've got a plan. We're working a plan. What he just told me was what? He doesn't have a plan. He's not working a plan. That's what he told me. Listen, folks, I'm not angry. If it comes across as angry, it's passion. I promise you it's not anger. I'm just telling you that's why it gets so aggravating when we talk about evangelism and people are going, oh, does he have insurance? You know, should we really send money? I mean, I got a phone call recently from a guy, good-hearted, it's not evil-hearted, but I got a phone call from a guy. You know what he asked me? What does it cost for an evangelist to live on today? You know what I answered him? What does it cost for you to live? And he said, well, I could live a lot cheaper if I didn't have my house note and I didn't have my car note and all that. And so could he. You are a kind man. So could he. You know, if he didn't have a house and a car and a few other things, he could live cheaper too. Do you know what they're saying when they're asking me, what does it cost to support evangelists today? How little can we support an evangelist today and get by with it and they still go do the work? I'm just telling you from a leadership perspective, you don't want leaders that are that way. You want leaders that are wanting to support the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You want leaders that are, I'm telling you, our goal at College Park is a preacher comes preach for us. We want to write, in, don't, don't, do not insinuate this as us this week. I'm not preaching about us this week. I'm preaching about stuff that needs to be said. And you take us off the table. But I'm telling you at College Park, a preacher comes preach for us. I'm trying to get our guys in the mindset, how big a check can we write? Because we're not supporting him to come hold a meeting at College Park. We're supporting his work. Because I want to see more of this. Anybody heard the story at Harlingen? They've gone from 20 and 30 people to 100 people. Have you heard the story? They've got elders today. They've got a deacon today serving in the congregation. It's a different story than it was. And that congregation struggled a long time to get his feet on the ground. And they are just blowing and going. Do you know where Ram Rodriguez came from? Do you know? the work in Harlingen. Do you know where the Alex Lopez came from? The work in Harlingen. You want to know where your money's going? That's where it's going. 
Many of y'all have heard of what's happened in Denton in the last 20 and 30 years. Plus, I held a meeting in Denton years ago. In fact, one of my favorite stories is from a, one of the very early times I held a meeting in Denton. I was a very young man. They introduced me to Brother Wages. He was the old man of the group. They had 12 people in the congregation. One of the little ladies of the congregation said, oh, we want to introduce you to our senior member of the congregation. His name is Brother Wages. He is 97 years old. Said, very good to meet you, Brother Wages. And they said, and Brother Wages has 17 children. I said, woo that'd make you want to give up Christmas. Made a mistake. Because the next 45 minutes, I got a sermon about the evils of Christmas from Brother Wages. Love Brother Wages. That congregation was struggling. Y'all know where Mike McCorkle spent the last 15 and 20 years? You ask me what, where your money's going. Ask me what we're doing in evangelism today. Denton's got elders and deacons in place. They're meeting 70, 80, 90 people today. Different dynamic in that congregation today. You heard of Gunner? I held a meeting at Gunner when I was 18 years old, and there was a bunch of old people in the room, like 15 of them, and they were old except for Tex Monk, his wife, and his kids. The rest of them were old, especially when I was 18. They were old. You ought to go to Gunner today. If you haven't been to Gunner, you need to go to Gunner. Gunner's kind of like this. They are thriving. They've got a group of people that's alive. You know, Gunner does a lot of supportive evangelism all over other places. I mean, they send money to stuff and try to help make stuff happen. They are heavily involved in the work at Austin, other things. I mean, those people, are, they're dedicated to the kingdom. You heard the story of Gunner? Gunner's not where Gunner was at 30 years ago. Been to Bridgeport lately? Been to Aurora? You know where Aurora's at? That's a fun place to go to. They're fantastic people. But Aurora was down to just a few little old people. Pat Manning moved in there back in the early 80s. Aurora is a thriving group of people today with elders and deacons in place. You want to talk about where your money's going? That's where it's going. Been to Bogachetta? We took a crew of 20 people from Houston to go roof a building of an old gas station that they were renting to start a church in Bogachetta, Mississippi. Now, if you don't know how to pronounce Bogachetta, it's Bogachetta. It's not Bogachito. I know it looks like Bogachito. It's Bogachetta. You got to go to Bogachetta to know what Bogachetta is. I'm telling you, it blows my mind. I went, up, I went there this last year again and have been there multiple times. Great group of people. They put in elders this year. Blows my mind. You want to talk about the work, where your money's going? Lindell has worked his fanny off driving all over the country. You been to Wheeler? Kind of a different place than it used to be. I held meetings in Allison back in the early 80s. 30, 40 people, great people. They were great people then. They're great people today, but they're not 30 or 40 people anymore. 100, 110, 120 people. They didn't have elders back in the early 80s. They've got them today. Totally different group of people. You've been to Lubbock, 78th Street in Lubbock? When I lived... In Plainview, back in the early 80s, I was working with Jay. I went down to preach at 78th on a Sunday. They were just calling in preachers trying to stay alive back in those days. I mean, it was very few people, 78th. Different ball game today. Now, let's talk about all of that right there. I can tell you some failures, too, that didn't work. Some places where efforts were tried and it didn't, it didn't stick. Sean talked last night about 18 congregations that closed their doors. It breaks your heart, absolutely grieves you over the fact, but I'm telling you today, and I know I'm running out of time. I just want you guys, this is important for congregations to understand. This is behind the scenes stuff. It's not the stuff I even normally talk about, but we're talking about leadership. You don't want men in the office that don't have a vision that let's go do this. You are making a mistake if you get guys in the room going, when is this meeting gonna be over? Because I gotta go mow, mow my yard. I mean, I got things to do. I'm telling you, that stuff happens all the time in churches. And those churches are kind of like Sean up there, dwindling away, dying, not by a sudden heart attack. They're dwindling away because people quit caring about the church. 
I hope this comes across to you guys. This is not self-serving. I promise you it's not. This isn't ego-driven. I promise you it's not. It's a passion. I love the church. I love the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we need what's happened in Amarillo to happen in every community all over this world. I'm not to mention Nigeria and India and Belize and a lot of other works. Puerto Rico. There's work. Ireland. There's, there's been work. In a, and, and some of those things and connections have been made and worked. Some of them didn't. You ask me where your money's going. And then sit in the next business meeting, elders and deacons, and sit in that meeting and go, well, what are, you know, we don't know if we're really getting a return. And thank you for your great leadership and great vision for the future. And I'm being sarcastic. We need people that are sitting in the room going, where can we put dollars and where can we encourage people and where can we train men so the kingdom can spread? With that kind of vision. Teamwork. And you know those congregations work together as a team. College Park puts a lot more money back out into other places. We support other guys, J.R. Smith and, and Alex Lopez and, and other guys in other places. It's not just College Park. We support in other places. Uh, 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 our brother at Bridgeport, Clint Goodman, we support Brother Clint. And, and uh, we're appreciative of the work that he's doing in the community. We support others like Timothy Fleming, et cetera. I mean, we're involved in the support of those. We want to be involved in that. I wish we could be involved more because you know what Brother Timothy's doing? Living on half of what he needs to be paid. You know what Clint's doing? Half of what he needs to be paid. You know Clint in the last few years took a plumbing job on the side. He's plumbing because we're paying half of what we need to be paying. And I'm just telling you, congregation, we're going to have to change the dynamic of what we're doing. Let me talk to you a little bit. My slide disappeared, and I don't know if you can find it or not, but I've got a slide that says 212 degrees. There's one slide that says 211 degrees, and the next slide says 212 degrees. If you can locate that slide, I would appreciate it. You know what you get with 211 degrees? I've been picking on you all night. I'll go over here. Craig, you know what you get for 211 degrees? With 211 degrees? You get hot water. It's hot. It's 211 degrees. You know what you get with 212 degrees, Gary? You get boiling water. That's exactly right. The liquid turns into a gas. One degree difference. One degree difference. And all of a sudden, we've gone from hot water to boiling water to steam that will move a locomotive. One degree. And what I'm asking for you today to evaluate is as a congregation, individually, as a part of the body of Christ... Can you step it up one degree? One degree. Can you step it up one degree? Because one degree will move a locomotive. It will do exponentially more than what one degree less will do. Can you step it up one degree? Let's talk about it. In your finances, can you step it up one degree? Maybe that's $5 extra on a Sunday. We got a math guy. Noah, you're a math guy, aren't you? You, you don't know the question yet, so you're debating. You're a math guy. You can do this, man. Y'all got 150 members here. Let's, let's go with that number in Amarillo. And they all, $150 a head, that means if dad has four kids, there's five people, he's increased his contribution $25. Okay? 150 people, $5 a head, do the math for me. Get, a, get your calculator. It's okay. It's $750, but that's okay. Do you want me <laughs> You be, are you good with $750? If I say $750, you're okay. I've got the stamp of approval from the math teacher. Okay, $750, that's per Sunday. What if we do that two Sundays in a row? What, what's the math? $1,500, very good, Noah. We do it three Sundays in a row. Let's try again. Okay, let's try again. Okay, three Sundays in a row, $1,500 or we've increased the contribution, $750. So we're at $1,500 on two. We added $750 to that. We're at $2,250. And then we're gonna go to the fourth Sunday and we're at 
$3,000. Very good, Noah. We got there. Do you realize that $5 a head on a given Sunday in Amarillo, Texas, raises three grand a month to support evangelism? Three grand a month. You know what you can support for three grand a month? Half an evangelist. Or maybe two evangelists, the way we support them. I'm joking. Church has been very good to us. I am not complaining. I promise you I'm not. But I am telling you, my vision is different today than it was then. Because my vision today is I've got to help support myself to do church work. Sean's vision today is he's got to help support himself to do church work. But I can tell you, there's a ton of the help support ourselves that we spend on church work. I guarantee you, there's a ton of money Sean spends that helps do church work. I talked to Sean the other day, broke my heart. I knew the answer before I asked the question, but I still had to ask the question. I said, hey, you went to so-and-so place to do a meeting. Yeah. I said, I'm curious to know how that congregation's doing. He said, it's really sad. It's a bad story. It's not good. We tried. It was a rough, it was a rough go. I said, where'd you stay? I knew the answer. Well, I got an Airbnb. What'd that cost you? 800 bucks. And I said, you drove all the way out there. Yeah. I'm telling you in short order in my brain, Maybe not Noah's brain, but in my brain, in short order, I could come up with a thousand bucks he spent on that deal before he ever even ate. I mean, just in gas and housing to get there. Spent 10 days trying to work with a congregation, not like Amarillo, not working with a leadership team, trying to just develop something from the ground to go. So I asked the question. Y'all may not be wondering what I asked, but I asked because I wanted to know. Was there any support from anywhere that helped you with that? You know what the answer was? No. Not even the congregation itself. You want, you want to ask me why that church is dying? Because they're asking Sean to invest in them, but they won't invest in them. It ain't important enough for them to put a dollar behind I don't know why it's important enough for Sean to put a dollar behind it. I'm telling you Ty's opinion, not Sean's opinion. Sean will still go tomorrow. But I'm telling you, I just don't know. I don't know that I'm interested in spending time as a steward of God's time, money, effort, energy, and all that to go spend time in a place that's not even willing to invest in themselves. You know what one degree difference will do? One degree if everybody in this room would step up in one, what about in your service to the church? If you just stepped up one degree, if you helped with the trash, if you helped with the hospital visitation, if you, helped with, you just stepped up one degree, you just say, we're going to dedicate ourselves, we're going to invest in this, we're going to be a part of the body of Christ at Amarillo. Every part of this body is going to function, everybody's got a job, everybody is going to participate in this. We are not going to lay all of this at our elders and deacons' feet. We are going to help our elders and deacons. One degree, maybe one degree in finances could not raise three grand, but maybe raise six grand a month. You'd be amazed at what one degree will do. I'm asking you today if the church can help you. We're going to sing an invitation song. Grab your, grab your songbook. We're, I'm done. I know you thought it would never end. But I've said what I've got to say. But I love the church. I love the kingdom of Christ, all my heart. I love our home congregation. I love my people at my home congregation. I love what they're doing. I love the energy that they've got, the participation they've got. I love what I see in Amarillo. I've sat over here in y'all's song service, and I'm telling you, you might have hidden it from me, but nearly every voice in the room was singing. I love that. That's energy, it's life. I go to congregations all the time and there's four people singing and 36 people sitting there. Not in Amarillo. We're singing. We're a part of the body. If you're not a part of the body today, we, we're asking you to be a part of the body. We want you to be a part of this effort. This part of the kingdom. It works with other congregations in other places. Works alongside coordinate, not coordinates, but... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You don't know. It works cooperatively. There, let's go with that one. It works cooperatively with other congregations in other areas. 
But this congregation wants to thrive and wants to bring the gospel to this community. You need good leadership in that, but you need every part of the body functioning. If the church can help you with a spiritual need tonight, that's why we're here. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you're caught up in sin and self so that you've not even seen the needs of the church. Change it tonight. Become a part of a thriving body of Christian people that are concerned about getting people to heaven. If the church can help you, make your way, sit on the front bench. Your leadership here will assist you as we sing this song.